radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Whoa, it's another episode of Talking Real Money. They just keep coming. I'm so glad we they do because it gives us work. I'm Don McDonald. That's Tom Cock. We're here to talk about real money with you on the Talking Real Money podcast and the Talking Real Money video cast on your favorite YouTube channel, the Talking Real Money channel. At least the favorite of 223 of you. I'm hoping it's 250 by the end of the week, but we'll see. I'll it's 223. Round it up. Hoping it's growing yeah. by the second. And today we want to talk to you about the financial business and really the trust. You know, I I, oh. I wish people oh, generally come on. You can't trust anybody in this uh, business. You know, but I think people generally believe, and we know this because people walk into banks all the time and think the nice person sitting at the desk is trustworthy. That banks, large financial institutions, because they handle big sums of money, are people that you should trust. And you know they're not. <laughs> they're, well, they don't but, have um, your interest banks, at heart. The banks want you to think that, though. Yeah, they they do. work really hard to make mm-hmm. themselves look trustworthy. The I mean, they dress buildings, up. They have beautiful yeah. buildings. The nice people that work there. And this came. It was interesting recently. You you may have seen this. I think it was last week when uh, Jamie Dimon was called before Congress, among other members of, of other bank leaders. And he was interviewed about uh, many things, including overdraft fees in 2020. Now, as you might remember, we had this little problem in 2020 called the pandemic economic meltdown. And pretty much the government handed money to, well, almost everybody uh, Mm -hmm. to sort of keep things running. That makes sense. And the banks are included in that. And he was being interviewed by a well-known senator. I won't even mention her name here. But she was pointing out the fact that the banks were given the money supposedly in lieu of charging overdraft fees. In other words, when your bank is over, your, your your account's overdrawn, they cover expenditures, but they charge you for that. And they did, along with other financial institutions, to the tune of about $32 billion, with a B, dollars in 2020. Now, I'm not opposed to capitalism. You know that. Oh, no, you're a capitalist. I'm a capitalist. Always have been since... You're selling. definitely. You're even a bigger capital. You're a bigger capitalist than uh, than Paul or I am. Yeah. No. I mean, I was selling Holly door to door at age ten. So I've always been a believer in selling products that people kind of want. He, it, he didn't mean he was a pimp. It was Holly. That's a like, good point. Thank you. Holly like and Ivy Holly and, from and, trees. Thank you. Yeah. For that yeah. So I mean, Mr. Diamond hey, was Holly, asked. I'm going down the street again. <laughs> you want to go with me? Was asked repeatedly. <laughs> you know, about these overdraft fees. And his take was, well, yeah, we kind of made that promise, but there were conditions attached. And it turned out that the condition were a number, including the fact that you had to call the bank to tell them, oh, wait, can I get an exception here? Um, and then the senator asked him, well, you, so will you be returning those fees? And there was a bit of a pause at which he said, no, he would not do that. Uh, <laughs> no, you, know, you, sure so- wasn't, you sure he didn't go like... Yeah, what? <laughs> he may have, may have turned off the camera because it was a remote. It was a remote interview, so he wasn't there in the chamber. Not uh, on you know, your so, life, Liz. Not on so, your I mean, life. I am not giving that money back. Damn it! Thirty billion dollars. <laughs> and you pointed out that the next day, I think there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal that showed that banks did get about ten percent less in overdraft fees in 2020 than they did the year before. So, wow, that was 
really nice of them, I guess, at some level. But the fact that you have to, first of all, call to ask to get the money, it does bring up something I think is true for all of us in any transaction. You really do need to stand up for yourself. I mean, I had this happen recently on a plane where the airline guarantees you'll get your bag in 20 minutes or they give you a certain number of miles free. And it happened to me. My bag took 35 minutes. I checked my, my mileage account a few days later and seeing no amount, I called them up and they said, okay, oh, wait, you foolishly thought they would just I thought proactively that, wow, give that I didn't to get you? my bag for 15 minutes after your deadline. Yeah, he's, I did. He's the, new, he's, the, he's the naive capitalist. Exactly. So I called them up and I said, Wow, I, I I'm looking for the credit. Oh well, we'll put you through to the baggage. Okay, fine. On hold. I know the world today. I finally got somebody, and they said, "No, what has to what you have to do is when you get the bag late, then you have to go to our office right then to get the voucher, and then we will you you bring that back. We'll credit you." So I said, just to make sure I have this right, my bag was late, and then I have to be later by going to an office to get this thing. Just want to make sure I'm clear on that. How, how many people were on your plane? Roughly. A hundred. So they literally expect <laughs> That's good that point. for you to take advantage yeah. of a hundred people yeah. have to get in line. Yeah. I, I am sure they do not. What you should do next time you fly that airline that is named after a state, what you should do the next time you fly that airline that is named after a state is at the baggage claim is go, Attention, everyone. Our bags are now more than 20 minutes late. <laughs> I'll meet you at the line at the baggage counter. Yeah, it sounds that, like a that good would, time. If everybody would do that, that would change their policy very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, the nice woman on the phone was surprised I didn't know the conditions. Now, to their credit, they did give me the, the mileage because mm -hmm. I was a first-time complainer. Complainer. Uh, so they did, but it did bring to mind that generally in these transactions, you need to be paying attention. Number two, you do have to oftentimes put your hand up and say, but at the end of the day, I think it's kind of the, the Russian proverb, you know, trust, but verify. I think it's do, do via, no previa. I mean, you gotta be. Thank goodness you're an English speaker. Thank you. Because yeah, my Russian is really poor. Uh, the fact is, yes, you've got to be questioning. You've got to look into things. You've got to pay attention. You can't just sort of hand over your money or your bags or anything else and expect that, oh, it'll all work out because oftentimes it does not. The banks are not your friends. Most financial institutions really are in the business of providing for their shareholders, not mm -hmm. for the people that are their investors or their customers. It's sad. It's true. And again, there is no one solution I know of other than, as I said, paying attention, raising your hand and trusting, but verifying, I guess. And that's where you're going to argue with me, I think a little bit. Well, not really. Oh, I, okay. I'm just going to say you, you do need to be the squeaky wheel sometimes, but the key to being a successful squeaky wheel as one who has, as a, a young man worked in customer service for big companies for a long time, uh, to be a successful squeaky wheel, you need to be a polite squeaky wheel. That is absolutely the key to success. You will get so much more than if you yell at people. 
Unless, of course, you get the overseas service guys, and then you got to get somebody else. Sorry, they're rigid. Um, They just don't bend. But yeah, you got to ask. You absolutely have to ask. Sad, but true. And when it comes to your investments, you absolutely must ask anyone with whom you deal, are you always required to act in my best interest? Always. Always is the key word. Well, I hope that helped. Now, we'd like to help someone else because people write us with questions at TalkingRealMoney.com. They also call them in at 855-935-TALK. Here's another one written in, Tom. It's about mortgage versus taxable. We're going to have to go to the question for the answer. Love the show. I was hoping you could help me with the decision to pay down the mortgage versus invest in a taxable account. I am in my mid-30s and only a couple of months into a 30-year fixed mortgage of 600000 at 2 and 3 quarter percent. Good rate. With an income of around 300000 a year, I itemize my taxes, my effective tax rate, around 2%? Whoa. My oldest child will go to college in 15 years, and we'd like to be mortgage-free at that time, so we've been auto-paying our mortgage on a 15-year amortization table. We have 60k in emergency, saving around hundred k for retirement, including employer contributions, no debt, I know the right move is to put 100% of the extra money into my taxable account in a globally diversified equity index fund, but I am tempted to pay down my mortgage faster. Although I am quite risk tolerant, I'm usually 100% in globally diversified equities, I am quite debt averse. Although I understand my net worth will almost certainly be higher with saving over low interest debt, I have a stressful job and don't know if I would be comfortable cutting back while I still have the mortgage. I feel like I keep going back and forth on the issue and I have days when I feel like I should put 100% into the mortgage and other days where I feel like I should put 100% into taxable. (gasps) Should I do like Solomon and split the baby? Well, the right financial answer, you've already said, the right is to save the money to invest it, have it liquid, have it available for whatever period. (laughs) The Mm -hmm. right emotional decision is your emotional decision. <laughs> I mean, right. this is because the numbers are going to be very clear, especially with a mortgage at two and three quarters percent. I mean, that's very cheap money. I would suspect that if in a portfolio, because you're young, 80% in stocks, 20% in bonds, that gosh, you should be making 7% a year for a very long per- time. And even when you take the money out, long-term capital gains tax rate, 15%. You're still going to end up way ahead of the two and three quarters. Now, that all said, is this the home you want to spend the rest of your life in? Have you really thought through, you know, like, I only want to do this high stress job for another fill in the blank number of years? That could play into it. Where, like, I don't, I'm going to reduce my income in three years or four years or 10 years or whatever it is. So that could play into it. And by the way, another strategy you could do is, overpay a bit now so that when you did get closer to retirement, you get a new 30-year mortgage with a very small payment, still at a relatively low rate. So, I mean, there is no one right or one wrong, but financially, you already said the correct answer, and that is save the money, invest it for the long haul in a, and thank you for saying it, globally diversified equity portfolio. Really appreciate I, that. I have a better idea. Okay. I do. This is actually a good one. Psychologically, you're going to play a little psychological game with yourself. The psychological game is, I have a new taxable account that has 
ETFs in it, globally diversified like VT. And so it won't, I won't get hit with a lot of taxes. And I am going to keep, I'm going to write on that account in the notes section, pay off the house account. You mentally identify, earmark this account for that possibility that you might want to pay off the house because you quit the job early and you give up and you go, ah, and see what happens for the next five years. I'm guessing that you're going to end up with more money in that pay off the house account than you will have put towards paying off the house. I think that's Odds I think good. that's sage. Yeah, no, I mean, and by the way, I do want to clarify one thing you said about taxes. So the operation of exchange traded funds produce very little taxable type of events versus a mutual fund, which has internal capital gains, et cetera. But you're still going to have, when you get to the end of it all and you have that money saved, you're still going to pay capital gains tax on whatever right. earnings you had in that That's period correct. of time. There's no way really around that. It's the operation of the funds while you hold them that are more efficient in an exchange traded fund than they would be in a mutual fund. But just remember, if you are paying down the mortgage, your effective return on your money is two and three quarter percent. That's right. If you put it in another account, and even if it does well below what the market has done in the past, is still very likely to be way above two and three quarter percent, giving you more money to pay off the house and giving you, if you decide not to pay off the house, massive liquidity when you move somewhere else. I like the idea that psychologically you're putting it aside to pay down the house. Yeah. You That'd call it you the pay better. down the house mm -hmm. account. It's good. Call it that. Yeah. Name it that. Thanks for the note. Thank, Thank you, you for all for your notes. Thanks for telling everybody about the show. I know some of you don't, but we, we hope you will come around and do that. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your enemies. Come on. And, and by the enemies. way, in addition to that, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, our overused YouTube channel. <laughs> we we want to break 250 by the weekend, apparently. That's our goal. Yeah, I guess that'll work. And it's so funny. We do I do all this work for this YouTube channel. It's a lot more work than the podcast. And and we get like 50 or 60 or 70 views. And the, the podcast every day gets like 3,000 listens. Does it make any sense? No, but apparently a couple of people wanted it. So we're going to do it for a while. See how it goes. The makeup so go check alone out. takes you more time. I get that. Yeah. yeah. Do I look like I'm wearing makeup? Think, think about that for a minute. I think I'd look a lot better than this. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, both of you. Uh, tell your friends and neighbors, if you really like what you hear on the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We love those. And um, spread the word. Oh, oh, by the way, if you need some complex help, more complex than we can you know, give you on the show, go to Vestory.com. That's our advisory firm. Vestory.com. We have a bunch of great advisors and all of them are committed to helping everybody become a better investor. And to that end, we will sit down with you online, on the phone, in person, if you're in the Seattle area or some of our other areas where we have offices and help you with getting that plan started or going, getting a second opinion on your messy yeah. portfolio. 
And by the way, they need the calls because they were just playing ping pong a minute ago. So apparently people are not busy enough here. So, so yeah, do. go to vestry.com or call 800-386-3004 right away and say, I want to talk to one of those advisors who's in there playing ping pong. Break up the ping pong game. Get on the Forever. Floor. Forever. <laughs> Dump the dumb dow and pound the ping pong. Good stuff. Thanks. I'm getting used to looking into the camera now. I'm trying. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for being a part of this. We really appreciate you being there. I'm Don McDonald. That's Tom Cock. We just hang out. Talking real money. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.